Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's up? Nothing much. Hanging with my boys. We're also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane. Hanging with the boys. That's right. Uh, this is a big episode uh, for us, guys. Uh, the guest today, the feature guest, is the one, the only, Noel Gallagher, formerly of Oasis, now of Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's on the show. We interviewed him. Is this the biggest show ever? <sighs> you know, for me, this is kind of like... Yeah, this is a big one, man. We had to fly to New York for it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, even if we had done it in Toronto, anywhere, if I got in two minutes, if it would just been a photo, the fact that we started this podcast uh, a bit on a lark to hang out and do something fun, and it has somehow led to me getting to go to New York City and talk to Noel Gallagher uh, is absurd and amazing. Obviously, Noel's a big deal, but it's also a testament that if the person sort of at the top in charge is also a fan of a particular thing, then anything can happen. So Greg Stewart, who who loves Noel Gallagher and is sort of in charge of these sort of exercises, he's like, boys, we're sending you to New York. Like He just, <laughs> he just knew that he wanted Mike on much to, to interview his favorite guy. Yeah, yeah. So and thanks. he also told us not to talk very much off the top of this episode, so it gets right <laughs> into Noel. If you guys could just get to Noel quicker, that'd be nice. And also Mike McShane, uh, who's also a, a huge fan and was with us uh, in Montreal for Just for Laughs and then sent us uh, uh, to New York for this as well. So we will get to Noel in a bit and my time in New York City. But first, fellas, what's been going on? I just got home. Uh, we did some Canadian shows, and it was really good. We, we They looked huge on social media. Yeah, they were actually huge. You know, sometimes on social media, you're lying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you misrepresent the yeah. truth. Yeah, and this time they actually were. You know, we, we never played these big arenas on our own. Because what happens when we make these decisions, especially when we're trying something new, is that there's usually some debate within the band. Uh, can we do it or not? Is, is it going to be pathetic? Is anybody going to show up? Or are people actually going to show up? I think every band who's sort of, you know, struggled to get anywhere, no, just has trauma of playing to six or seven people. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and even though our band has been around for a while and done okay, we still think that nobody's going to show up. But Oshawa, like a packed, like OHL arena, same thing in Kingston, same thing in London. So it was very cool. So shout out to everybody who came out to the show, anybody who's listening. The other thing that kind of stuck to me is that I got a chance to see Paul from the hip because we played in Kingston. And just a quick thing on Paul. Paul... Who is he in the hip? Paul's the guitarist in the Long hip. Long hair? Short hair. Okay. And um, those guys have all been really good to us. And I can only imagine what they've gone through over the last couple of years with, with Gord Downey's passing. And Paul uh, Paul's daughters uh, are big Arkells fans. And they're like in college. And they always come to the shows. And when we play in Halifax, one of his kids goes there. The other kid goes to McMaster now, actually. And really sweet kids. Really nice wife, Joanne. But... What I like about Paul is that he only has one speed, and that is like the most like legit, sincere, sweet, thoughtful guy. And I was thinking about the way we all interact with different people depending on who we're with. It's like, oh, we're talking to the boss, and we go, you recalibrate your personality slightly depending on who you're interacting with. Yeah, exactly. And it seems like Paul only has one speed, and it it's very cool because it's like you know we had a chance to catch up. We hadn't seen him in a little while. And he just kind of got into it like a real person and kind of talked about a little bit what he's been going through. But also just he treats everybody exactly the same. And I just want to give a shout out to Paul because it's a thing that, you know, some people like to say about other people as a compliment, but like few people actually do it. And some people say that about me. They're like, oh, he's a nice guy to everybody. But I recalibrate in a way that I'm sort of embarrassed about, you know? Sure. But Paul seems to only have one speed. So shout out to Paul from the hip. It's an admirable trait. Yeah, last thing, I'm just going to – he's he's also the most 
courteous texter of all time. And I just want to pull up a quick text. So we came, we came over to his place after, after the show in Kingston and everybody was kind of getting into it. It was like, everyone was like kind of singing in the kitchen and like drinking and smoking. It was fun. And Speaking of recalibrating, were you smoking cigarettes <laughs> to fit in, Max? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Give yeah. me one of those butts. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a really nice long test, but he finishes. Thanks for coming over last night. We were pretty deep into it, but it appears nobody got hurt. I just love that. It appears nobody <laughs> got hurt. What did you do? <laughs> like nothing. Like that was the thing. We were all standing around, but. Was, good, good, harmless cool. Canadian fun with a bunch yeah. of beers and, exactly. and some conversation. So shout out Paul from the hip. Yeah, should I get to New York City right now? Let's get to New York City. I don't, I don't want to piss off Greg. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have a mandate from Greg Stewart to keep this opening uh, tight. Uh, so yeah, again, like I was lucky enough to get sent down to New York City, and sort of off the top when um, Greg and Mike McShane were like, you know, we want to send you down to talk to Noel. We were very, very excited, and it, sort of the, the thinking at first was, you know, the the junket is going to be. We don't know what time it's going to be during the day. So you could conceivably, from Toronto, fly into New York City, do the interview, go to this um, thing after the interview where Noel was doing like a Q&A with a writer from Rolling Stone and they were previewing the album. And then you could fly back to Toronto all in one shot. So it was on a Monday. I had to take a vacation day from work to do it. And so I was like, do I go in one day or do I spend the night and then come back first thing Tuesday and try and get to work? Danica, my wife, was like, listen, if you're going to go all the way down there, Stretch it out a bit. Take the full two days. Walk around New York on the Tuesday after you've done the whole damn thing. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Danica's full of wisdom. Oh, man. So anyway, I ended up doing that. And so I, I, I booked my whole trip and I talked to the crew from Your Morning. Because aside from Mike on Much that's going down, uh, Bell Media is also sending uh, Tyrone, Mr. One Love T.O., uh, who you know from television. Mm-hmm. Uh, T-Rex. T-Rex to do an interview uh, with Noel for Your Morning. So I get to the airport and, you know, you guys, have you guys ever traveled on your own? I know you did for Hawaii, Shane. Yeah. And Max. I kind of like it. Like, I like traveling alone in a lot of ways. So Me too, actually. And especially if you don't have to check in a guitar or something. It's so easy. And, like, you're just kind of, like, on your own time. Yeah, man. Because when you start traveling in groups, then the stress kind of gets to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm just about to get on the plane. And I, I notice you know, a guy and he's talking to the woman that's taking his passport as we're just about to do the walk and she's laughing away. And I'm like, Oh, it's T-Rex. I'm like, he's being gregarious. He's this really charming guy. Uh, and then I kind of time my timing so that I'm with him. And you never know on a work trip. It's like, oh, are we going to like buddy up and then get on the plane? Is it weird? So he's like, Hey man, I'm like, Hey, going to do Noel, New York city. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, are you staying the night? He's like, I am, but he's got to go to Barbados the next day to shoot something for uh, E. And we're walking down the concourse and like, there's like a glass and then there's like a bagel shop on the other side. And like a guy like knocks on the window and points at T-Rex and they both like punch it in through the glass. And I'm like, (laughs) this guy knows everybody. He literally makes friends with everyone. Get on the plane. And I don't know if you guys do this on a plane, but I decided I was going to work on my questions on the flight down because I was flying in the morning of the interview that evening. And I was squished between these two dudes and I was like, I'm going to do some work. So I opened my laptop, which has the questions we'd already sort of worked on, Max. And I'm kind of trying to calibrate, but I can feel the guy to my right reading my laptop. Uh. I, I got uncomfortable. I don't know why. Like, who gives a shit? But I was like, he's going to judge my questions. So I was in my own head about a stranger reading my questions. So I ditched it. I shut it. We fly from Toronto to LaGuardia. I get off the plane first. And Tyrone's not off yet. And now it's this kind of thing where it's like, are we going to... Like, should I wait for him to get off the plane and be like, hey, you want to split a cab into the city? Mm-hmm. Or is it like, is he kind of enjoying his own solo travel mission? 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that guy, you know, but I also am like, is it rude not to wait for him and just to beeline mm-hmm. it out of here? Also, I've never gone from LaGuardia downtown in New York. So I'm kind of like, Tyrone comes down here a lot for interviews. Maybe I'll wait. Show me the ropes. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to wait. And he comes in, I'm like, hey, I'm like, I thought maybe we could like uh, get a ride into the city together. And he's like, oh, yeah, totally, man. Nicest guy about it. So we go, uh, LaGuardia is like insane. We have to like go to this bus area in order to get to an area for these Ubers. Mm. So we go and we wait in this line. And who's standing in front of us but the guy from How I Met Your Mother? Uh, the main guy? The brunette guy. Can you call a man a brunette? <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> not Neil Patrick Harris, not Jason Segal. The main guy. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that he's the main guy, but no one knows The Jerry name. Seinfeld of the show. That's, That's right. Him, yeah. uh, so <laughs> he's standing in front of us. I swear to God, like we didn't interact with or anything. And just as I'm about to tell Tyrone, yo, that's the guy from How I Met Your Mother. Gives him the fist pound. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he goes, oh shit. He goes, we were talking so much we got off the plate. I forgot to grab my luggage. He checked his luggage because he was going to Barbados oh, no. the ah. next day. So then we have to leave that line, come back. Mm. We end up taking an Uber together all the way down. He takes care of it on his company card. <laughs> Class it. act. In the back of your mind, was that part of your plan? It crossed my mind. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we're on our own budget here, boys. You know, you got to, uh, I, I didn't stay at some fancy hotel. I, I, you know, you've shot some stuff with them, Shane, and I kind of know him to say what's up, but I'd never really spent extended time with them. And uh, I really, really uh, enjoyed his company. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's awesome. So he drops me off. Now I'm in the city. I'm like, okay, I've got like three hours to, to like get ready for this interview. I feel pretty comfortable with the, the, the questions, but it's like, what, how do we arrange them in a the right way? Kind of the stuff we normally do. And the thing is like, we've done over 80 of these now. And I don't really, get, other than wanting to be professional and feeling comfortable and prepared, I don't get like a sense of like anxiety or anything like that. But I don't know if it's because like I grew up a huge Oasis fan or just I know that Noel Gallagher is this sort of like rock icon to me and a lot of my peers that I kind of just had this like, and, like, someone's paying for me to go down to New York. It's like, you don't want to fuck it up when people mm-hmm. invest in you. Like, I, I really have that kind of anxiety. So I call you. You're on the road, I think, Yes, yeah. I was in Richmond, Virginia, I think. And we end up having, like, a 40-minute conversation just about, like, what question do we open with mm-hmm. and why. And the reason is, this is ultimately a junket. And we've talked about these before, where there's, like, five or six different outlets all doing a variation of the same conversation. Because, you know, his album's coming out, Who Built the Moon? So you just want to kind of stand out. The interview uh, was at this restaurant called Freeman's, which was just down the street from uh, the Was hotel. it a restaurant? I didn't realize that. I yeah. It was a hotel. Okay. And everybody's set up, and I get in there, and your morning crew's there, and Tyrone's already there, and you know they're going over their questions with their producer, and I'm literally just like one-man show with my laptop, and it opens, and we hear ET Canada start like right away, and she gets into it, and she's... You know, and it's super lame, right? I would never say that in a million years. (laughs) Just Uh, kidding. But I, you know, (laughs) you listen to it and you listen, you know, I can't see them because they're just in like a a different room, but it's like, I don't know how to describe it. I I guess it's kind of like waiting to go on. If you're at a talent show or in those early shows that you did as a band and it's like, there's a band goes on before you and then another band, another, and you're kind of like, if there's good bands or if there's bad, you're just kind of gauging it and you're going, how does this frame my thing? Yeah. And ultimately like, I got to throw it away and just do my thing anyway. Yeah. So we're in this room and I've been, I'm sitting kind of in the corner, just waiting with my laptop, getting ready. It's my turn to go in. The label guy's like, Noel, this is Mike. Mike, this is Noel. We sit down and he goes, uh, have I met you before? And I didn't really know what to say. So I kind of said something like, no, literally within five seconds of saying that I was like, you should have just said no, but you look familiar to me too, Um, (laughs) which would have been a funny line. And I thought of it like almost immediately. Or if you said, I'm in Hoobastank. (laughs) <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> or, yeah. or follow up boy. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, people have 
before compared me physically to the guy from Hoobastank <laughs> and follow up. Like, it's just a funny name. That's why I say I just yeah, like saying yeah. Hoobastank. <laughs> uh, no, it would have been a good reason. Anyway, I didn't say the line. And then I was trying to think if I could shoehorn it back in. Oh, that's the story of my life. Oh, it never works. <laughs> it never does. So I had to abandon that right away. But now I'm kind of like, all right, get into my damn question. And we opened with a question about uh, parenting and fatherhood and the idea that he came from humble beginnings mm-hmm. and that his um, you know, children are obviously going to be raised in a different socioeconomic situation than him. And the idea of, of, of parenting, like, do you sort of let your kids know, no, you have to work for it the way I did, or do you sort of give them everything they never had? Yeah. It was an interesting angle from parenting, especially for a guy that, you know, has grew up in one class and lives in a completely different class now. In our conversation, Max, we're like, what do we open with? Yeah. And you were a big proponent of open with that because it gets his brain out of junket mode immediately. Yeah, because I, I always think about if I'm interviewed for band stuff, and you kind of get uh, on autopilot if someone asks you, like, so what year did you guys form the band? Or, like, <laughs> or like where did the name come from? Or whatever. Like, and then you're, okay, it's going to be one of those kinds of interviews. But if somebody hits you with something a little unexpected and your brain starts firing a little bit more, then, you, then you're just naturally more into the interview itself. Yeah. So, I mean, we did the whole interview. You guys are going to hear it in a bit. After these things, it's always the best kind of feeling in the world because as much anxiety uh, as you have <laughs> leading into it, the minute it's done, you just kind of want to like run through the streets of New York. I did it! We did it! <laughs> and uh, yeah, I felt pretty good about it. He had some choice uh, words for Liam Gallagher, his brother, which we wanted to save till the end of the interview just because you never know how it's going to go. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I ended up having myself a bit of a night in New York City. Uh, yeah, I saw some Instagram pictures with you and Tyrone uh, just celebrating the big interview. Yeah, well, we went to the, uh, the Rolling Stone <laughs> Q&A where his album was playing. It was open bar, so we were enjoying some drinks. And then he had to be on like a five o'clock, 5 a.m. flight to like Barbados for this other thing for E. So we kind of parted ways. And I was like, what am I going to do now? I was like, man, I love New York. And like I'd gone down there a few times in the past years with our buddies, Julian and Sean. There's a few bars that we like to go to. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go to Three Sheets, which is this like local college bar, which I really have no reason to. And I'm like in like my long pea coat. Like I look like, I don't know. I'm just not a college kid. And these kids are playing shuffleboard and flip cup. <laughs> but I know they have $3 paps. And they'll have the basketball game on. So I'm like, at the very least, I'm going to go there first, watch hoops, and then maybe go to the comedy cellar and check out some comedy. So I basically solo mission through New York. I did go to Three Sheets. I sat at that bar. There was this huge Knicks uh, Cavaliers game on TV. So I ended up pleasantly arguing with a bunch of Knicks fans. The bartender was a Cavs fan. I'm a Raptors fan. So we're all getting into it. They serve mac and cheese at this bar. That's how you know it's a college bar. So now I'm kind of hungry because I haven't really ate before the interview and I'm getting kind of drunk on $3 paps. So I order a big bowl of this craft dinner. Everybody's texting me because I posted a photo of me and Noel and everybody's so nice. Like, whoa, you're interviewed Noel and I've got a bunch of different messages, which is cool. And then I think Greg and, and Shane had both messaged me. And then they, you guys are like, uh, what are you doing now? And I sent like a photo of me with the craft dinner. And you were like, oh, oh, yeah. you're like, oh, can't wait to hear about this night. <laughs> you can already tell I was starting to have a good time. So yeah, and then I ended up going to uh, the comedy cellar. Like I basically just kind of missioned around, like kind of like New York by myself. Are drinking. you on cloud nine at this point? I was feeling pretty good. I did end up getting a little too drunk though by myself. And I did eat a whole bowl of craft dinner. So before the comedy cellar, after three sheets, I popped into another bar for like another like Heineken. And here's the thing, because I'd, I'd been doing so much like research on Oasis, like I'd watch Supersonic, I was feeling kind of Oasis swaggy, like I had a long <laughs> like You thought on. you were, Liam? I think yeah. a little bit. You like, start talking in a British accent. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of like walking around New York. So I'm like, I eat all this craft dinner. <laughs> I pop into another bar for a beer, but the craft dinner is not sitting right. So I'm like, oh no. I'm like, so I have to leave my beer at the bar. I go to the bathroom. <laughs> number one or number two? Number three. 
Whoa. So, That's both for the <laughs> listeners at home. <laughs> no, a little bit of craft dinner comes up. <laughs> and and now I'm like, shit, this is embarrassing. I should probably leave the bar. And then I'm like, I don't know. I mean, like, if, like in the 90s, I think Liam or Noel would have just went right back to the bar and finished their beer. They, they would have. So I went back, finished my beer. And then I was like, should I still go to the comedy club? Like there's a little bit on my shoe. And I was like, I think Liam and Noel would probably go wow. to the comedy club. Uh, it was a tribute. It was nice. a tribute. It was a tribute <laughs> night. So I went to the comedy club and then decided to go back to the hotel room and, and call my lovely wife and yes. you know, call it a night. So that, that was my evening in New York City. A New York tale, as yeah. they say. No Gallagher. You guys want to get to it? Let's get to it. How are you? I'm well, man. Have I met you before? We haven't, actually. No. no. So how you been? Good. Long day? Not particularly. Not as long as yesterday. <laughs> yesterday was a fucking bitch of a day. What made it such a bitch? It took me 19 hours to get from my front door to my fucking hotel room here yesterday. And That's it was the worst flight of all time, I was sat beside possibly the most annoying human being I've ever met in my entire life. Really? Mm. What made them so annoying? He was fucking South African. That's all you need. Neither here nor there? Oh, he was South African. And we'll just let it hang in the air? Just fucking annoyed the fuck out of me. <laughs> he asked me to do a gig, right, in Johannesburg to save the rhinos, right? <laughs> I was like, what, what the fuck has that got to do with me? Yeah. Rhinos, okay, you know, whatever, peace, man, you know, but fuck's sake. When you're in a situation like that, do you... do You, you weep silently. You, but you let them down gently, yeah. or, um, like, are you polite? I wept silently. I actually, by one point, I put my headphones on. I wasn't even listening to music, because I thought, this guy's fucking getting on my you just fake sleep? I faked, I faked listening to music for a while, and um, it was awful. Yeah. It was dreadful. Never again will I get an aisle seat. <laughs> Um, I kind of wanted to start, and this is kind of a weird place to start, but with parenting. Just because, yeah, because it's interesting to Actually, me. That was my preferred place to start an interview. Oh, good, okay, yeah, I'm let's glad. Let's get the parenting out of the way first. Yeah, we're off to a great start. And get to the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, it's like a slow burn Which, into the... if you do it properly, does lead to parenting. Where you're going with that. Well, obviously, you're a very successful guy. Mm. You came from humble beginnings. Mm. And I always find it fascinating when parents have to parent from that point of view because either they kind of come from a place of like, I want to give my kids everything that I never had and they kind of go really far that way or they go, I know my kids are going to have to earn it and sort of do it the way I did it. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I fall leaning towards the former. Imagine being like uber successful and then saying to your kids, you're not getting fuck all of the fruits of my labor. What an arsehole. I mean, my kids... God bless them, you know what I mean? And I wish I had their life, but they'll never have my drive, you know what I mean? Because, because they've always got the safety net of their dad's um, still expanding bank balance. Um, but, you know, that creates its own problems for them, so they've got to deal with that. But they're your kids, and, and they're, they're there to be indulged, I think. Yeah, I think it was Judd Apatow... Uh, was talking about his daughters. He's like, oh, we try to teach them the right way, but I'm not going to make them like flying coach while I'm in first class to no, teach them a lesson. No, no, no. We can't deny who we are. No, 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 of course. I say to them, you lucky, lucky little fuckers. <laughs> you see all this shit? This wasn't around when I was a fucking child. I'm, uh, you know, I bring my kids back up to Manchester where I'm from and my kids are just like, really? You're from here? And I'm like, no, I know. Terrible, isn't it? <laughs> 
With the new record, and I guess just like writing music in general, do you have specific people whenever you go through the process that you trust with constructive criticism? I don't tend to play anything to anyone unless they ask. I don't seek advice because I think you've got to be... You've got, you have to have some kind of real tunnel vision with it all. That's the way I've always worked. I only play people when it's finished. Because I don't like all my friends that are in bands, if they say to me, oh, I'm going to play you some stuff, and then after they say, but it's not finished. It's like, don't fucking play me then until it's finished, you know. So I don't really play anyone until it's finished, unless I'm playing it at home, and then people will offer an opinion. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't ask for advice. I don't need it. Yeah. My, my, my opinion is what counts, and that's it. Right, so no one, there's no one in particular that would be like, hey, no, maybe try this. Um, well, the producer, the, the people that are helping you make it, maybe, if you're second-guessing yourself, there was more of that, there was more di- there was, I was being directed more on this album than any record I've ever made. Mm. But as in me saying to somebody, what do you think I should do with this? That, no. So is it difficult to allow yourself to be directed? You're saying on this record more so than ever before. No, because the, the way we meet, um, my producer for this record, David Holmes, uh, insisted that this record be created in the studio with no prior material going in there. So that was, that was a place I had to get, I was a, like a, um, a, um, a headspace I, I had to get into. So I was, I was along on the ride, you know what I mean? And thinking, well, this is, this, I've never done this before, so it was a trip for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I gotta say, it took, it took over three years to make this record, and um, uh, for about the first year, when it wasn't really going anywhere, we were just laying the groundwork, it was a bit frustrating, because I write every day at home, so I've got hundreds of songs waiting mm. to go. But we we made a pact to see it through, and as the, as the sessions went by, it started to grow a little bit and a bit more, and then, but it was fascinating the way it worked. Is that a discipline you have to sort of learn, meaning I'm going to get up and write every day? Because there's gonna be days you're not gonna wanna write. I, 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 I wanna go there every day. I've got no hobbies. The only thing I care about in life, or the things I care about, is music, my football team, my family, and that's it. Yeah. I don't give a shit about anything else. I was watching um, Supersonic, and you'd mentioned... It is a good film. Good film. Uh, I'm sure I should get an Oscar for that. (laughs) You'd mentioned in it that, you know, it was a part of the movie where you'd sort of left Oasis for a bit on that first American tour, Mm. and then you sort of said, maybe jokingly, uh, I should have stayed away, and then my first solo record would have been Morning Glory. Yeah, I was was joking. Pretty funny. And then I was listening to you on Absolute Radio with Matt uh, Morgan, and you'd, <laughs> which was fucking yeah. hilarious. Mm-hmm. And you'd mentioned uh, that, you know, you'd burned a lot of B-sides in the 90s and mm-hmm. you'd held on to them, they could have become, be here now. Yeah. Are you someone philosophically that tends to sort of uh, revisit your choices and look at maybe these forks in the road, paths not taken? Sometimes they do, uh, you do find yourself thinking about it. What would have happened if acquiesce or talk tonight would have been, you know, anything other than B-sides. But I don't think about it with any regrets. Because, to be honest, it's cooler that they're B-sides. Because future generations then have to discover them for themselves and they kind of feel like they've got a little bit more of an ownership of it. Um, but I think about it from time to time, but not with any regret. I don't have any musical regrets at all. 
It's more like a thought exercise? Like it's like a fascinating... Well, yeah, you wanna, for instance, when I'm putting set lists together for this upcoming tour and I'm looking at lists of songs that I've wrote, and could I do that song? And I'm thinking, God, wow, rocking chair. What was <laughs> I, what, why didn't I just keep that? You know what I mean? And sometimes you think, the record company people were kind of, were, were oblivious to it and all. But I guess I went through a period of about three years where every song that I wrote has become a classic, whether they be B-sides or album tracks or what have you. And of course, when you're in that period, nobody thinks it's going to end, you know, so... When it's raining. Yeah, yeah, when it's... And there you go. So I've no regrets about any of it at all. Do you, do you consider that, like, when you talk about this sort of, like, charmed period where everything you write it becomes this sort of classic, do you ever find yourself being like, I want to capture that again, or is that sort of the pursuit of songwriting in general? Well, the way that I write is I, 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 I'm at the mercy of the whatever's going on in the universe, and they fall out of the sky. So I couldn't tell you how I wrote Champagne Supernova. I couldn't tell you how I wrote Don't Look Back in Anger. I could tell you where it was, but I couldn't tell you... I wasn't really trying to say anything. So... And you can never... You can never... You're, 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 if you're writing songs as a 25-year-old, aspiring to be, you know, a huge rock star... Once you're writing songs as a huge rock star, you're not in the same headspace, you know what mm. I mean? You can't, you can't do it as simple as that. You can't go back. And even if you tried, people would know you were faking it. You've just got to be... You've got to own who you are at that point in your life, and that's it, and not worry about it. You know, and carry on. I, I, I look at it this way. This record that I make is not the last one I'll ever make. It isn't the best one I'll ever make. It's certainly not the worst. You know, it's just a moment in time. And that's it. Ten years from now, I'll have made another two records. We might not be talking about this album, but we're talking about it now, and that's all that matters. Yeah. You know, when people get into music, they sort of... It's fun to mess around with your buddies, make music, and then at some point, if you're lucky enough to become successful, it shifts into sort of a career thing, and you sort of have to adjust. And I think a lot of people in bands are like, shit, I didn't sign up for this. Mm. Do you remember, like, when it shifted for you, and was that a difficult adjustment, or were you kind of like, no, I can figure this out, I can do the business part as well? Well, I was, I was quite... In rock and roll terms, I was quite old when it happened to me. Right. So I was 26 when I signed my first record deal. Now, if you think Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix all died at 27, let's put that into perspective. So I was quite... And I'd been part of a in Spiral Carpets Road crew, so I'd travelled the world, I'd seen it all, I knew, I, knew, I, knew, I knew the game. Did you feel old at that time? I've always felt... The way I feel today, i felt this way since I was 16. Really? Yeah, I've always had quite a level head and old head on young shoulders. And um, I've always been able to look at the bigger picture. So when I got a record deal, I never thought, well, we'll put this album out and see what happens. I'd already written Morning Glory and was already halfway through writing the one after. So I've always been five years ahead of everybody else in musical terms. Sure. You know what I mean, so I didn't... It's not, this is all natural to me. Mm -hmm. Well, you just turned 50. I have, but, you know, let's not, let's not focus on that. <laughs> well, that was going to be yeah. the question. You know, some people have hang-ups with, oh, I'm turning 30 or I'm 25 or 40. Uh, yeah. Did you ever get that? Or? No, 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 and I'll tell you why. There's one fundamental reason why I don't really give a shit about the age thing, and it's this here. Full head of hair? Because this fucker here <laughs> is literally just dictates everything. <laughs> if you can imagine... Can you imagine a bald Mick Jagger? <laughs> it's a horrifying thought, right? That just says it all. Yeah. So 
If I've still got this when I'm 76, I don't give a fuck, to be quite honest. It's all about the hair. Yeah. That's it. How much of a role uh, do you think luck plays in success? I'm not sure luck. Luck didn't write the songs. Timing is a different thing altogether. Oasis came along at exactly the right time when the, the, the grunge thing had played out, the acid house thing had played out, and the stage was set for something else. The Stone Roses had disappeared, and the stage was set for something else. I wrote Supersonic, and that was it. If I'd have wrote Supersonic five years earlier, would anybody have given a shit? I'd like to think that they would have. If, I'd, if I'm just a new guy starting out tomorrow and I'd wrote Supersonic tomorrow, you'd like to think somebody would give a shit. But we happened at exactly the right time. So, look, look didn't write the songs. You know, you're not, you're not, I, I mean, as a, as, a, as a songwriter, look doesn't come into it. It's perseverance and talent and tiptoeing around other people's uh, copyrights, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and when you catch that wave, you got to ride it, right? Totally. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the hard part. Look, I, I was in a unique position in Oasis where I was, as I say, five years ahead of everybody else. I knew where it was going. And when I used to say, we are going to be the greatest band in the world, yeah. I meant it. I knew it. I fucking knew it. I knew enough about music to know that after I wrote Live Forever, I knew it. You know, and everybody else said the words, but they couldn't have known because they hadn't heard what was coming next. So I taught the talk, and I only taught the talk because I knew I could back it up. Mm. So I could go out and talk shit about any band in the fucking universe and just say, yeah. And people would say, what, these fucking arrogant fuckers? And I'd say, yeah. Well, I've just written a song called Champagne Supernova. So I suck my balls. <laughs> Uh, I heard you answering your question about rock and roll, and, and you saying this record is the most rock and roll that you felt at yeah. this moment. I guess in general, I, I, I went and saw Coldplay at Skydome in Toronto, and it was a great show, and everyone walked away feeling wonderful, but I kind of walked away thinking like, oh man, that was a really inclusive show, it was really well done, I feel good. But there was nothing rebellious or dangerous about it, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I'm wondering, like, rock these days, is this... Is it sort of, have tastes changed or have band, or do bands not come along like that anymore? Is it more like, hey, we're putting on a big show, it's almost like a traveling theater, and this might even speak to how you view how you put on your shows? Well, it, being rebellious and all that thing, that's not Coldplay's thing anyway. No, it's you not. I mean, that's that, that, their, their thing is to make you feel, not so much feel, you know, to, feel you, to make you feel good about yourself and feel good about the band and feel good about the world. And that, so that's not their thing. But I think that rock music now uh, is just that. I don't think rock and roll exists. Rock music has become, you know, the guys with the tattoos and the shouting and the fucking, uh, the politics and the shouting and the ripped jeans and there's more shouting. Sure. And um, I don't find it melodic in any way. <clears throat> and, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure where you look at modern guitar bands and you'll see the guitarists and they kind of wear the guitar. They don't really fucking play it. And I just think it's a different era. You know what right. I mean? I think rock killed rock and roll. Uh, when I say that this album is my most rock and roll album, it's not because it, it, it's not about the Marshall Stack and the fucking Les Paul. 
Rock and roll to me is about freedom of thought, freedom of expression. That's why it's rock and roll, because it's not, as in the studio, I'm not worried about what anyone else is thinking about it. It comes from the soul. Yeah. And that's it. And you can, you can, you can argue and debate about the execution of an artistic decision. Can't question the artistic decision. You can't do it. It's an artistic decision. <clears throat> you can debate whether you like the music or not, of course. If you buy it, if you stream it, you can kiss my fucking arsehole. <laughs> if you buy it and take it home and then think, well, I don't like it, then I do apologise. I'll make another record. You might like that one even less. Um, but it's about freedom to do what you want. I guess, uh, lastly, as we wrap up, you know, every time Liam tweets about you, it makes headlines. And I feel like, you know, the narrative is sort of, uh, you know, Liam's sort of entertaining and maybe a little unhinged. Do you think maybe he's one of the most savvy marketers in music right now? Well, he's doing a fucking good job of marketing me, <laughs> which I'm, I gotta say, I'm very thankful for. It means the world to me. He's off around the world benefiting from my genius. You're welcome, by the way. I'm providing a public service to that boy. Um, well, I think he might be coming on our show in a couple of weeks. Would oh, really? Like, would you like me to pass anything along? Um, get a, my, a list of my back catalogue. Okay. If there's anything that he's missing out. As long as he keeps filling out the PRS forms at the end of the show, again, he can <laughs> lick my balls. I don't give a fuck what he does. Tell him to enjoy what's left of his hairdo. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Noel. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Welcome to The Dessert. We are here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And Shane, last week you told us a lot about uh, I Sang for Lupus Challenge. And uh, the floor is yours this week because I think our listeners have tuned back in to get updates on lots of stuff. For people uh, who are just Noel fans listening, last week I found out that there's a chance my baby could have an abnormality. So we do this test called amniocentesis to figure out if or what the abnormality is. So we get there and they basically just kind of put Alex on a table and they stick a needle like this big. So it's about a foot long? Yeah, it was like a, it's a big, it was big, a needle. big ass needle. Uh, okay. And then they take the amniotic fluid, which is filled with like piss and like water or whatever. And then tomorrow I'll find out conclusively the results of this test. So it was kind of scary. Sure. But one of the cool things was about this that they were, all the women doing it, the doctors and all the assistants, they were like, oh, do you want to know the gender of the baby? And I was like, yeah, of course. They were like, well, it's pretty obvious. So I'm like, oh, like, I bet you it's got kind of a big dong. <laughs> Thinking obvious <laughs> means boy, but it's a girl. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. so whoa. I, yeah, wow. That's, that's news. Yeah. Yeah. Man, congrats. Well, I had a joke, so I was like, <laughs> I was like, can this pregnancy get any worse? Was my joke finding out it was a girl? <laughs> <laughs> Is there still a chance she could have a big dog? <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, yeah, anyway, so that was, for listeners that were joking. Yeah, of okay, course. Yeah, okay. No, I uh, yeah, girls, awesome. So I'm really happy about that. We'll Wait a second, though. First of all, awesome you're having a girl. But if I'm remembering this correctly, back to the a couple pods ago, will she be named Lucifer? No, it's uh, it's Lucy. My mom had a, an idea. Again, we're probably talking to a bunch of new people here who just came for the Noel thing. But when I told my mom I was having a kid, I told her if it was a girl, we would name it Lucy. 
And my mom said, Lucy, I don't like that name, which I found odd. And then she goes, I like Lucifer, which is a pretty <laughs> odd name for someone to name their child. Is Lucifer even a girl's name? Uh, no, which just adds to the mystery of how weird my mom is. Uh, the devil takes many forms, man. Yeah. <laughs> Another reason I thought it was a boy is on the ultrasound monitor, the kid's nose looks so big the first time we saw it. I'm like, oh, that's a boy. Obviously, like, no girl would have, a like, a side profile like that. And then on the new monitor, like, I guess the baby's nose kind of formed differently, and now it has, like, a... A cute little baby. She grew nose. into her nose already. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess now we can we can talk about the I sang for lupus challenge. Yeah, let's get yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So this thing that you created. My wife has lupus, which is the reason why I wanted to start a challenge in the same vein as the ALS ice bucket challenge, which was hugely popular. So admittedly, I'm copying off a proven formula. But the, the real heart of the idea is I want people to sing unironically, seriously, to camera one of their favorite songs. And on paper, it sounds kind of easy, like, oh, I could do that, because everyone has kind of sang in the shower or whatever. But when you do it in front of your friends or you're about to share it with your friends and you're not doing it with any comic tone, it becomes 3,000 times harder to do. And that's why I, I do, if you're listening to this, I'd like to challenge everyone to attempt this. We'll put examples out of us doing it so people can kind of see the template. I also shot a promo with uh, Dan Tavlowski, who will uh, will show that promo, which is kind of like a paint by numbers of how to do this. And the goal is to raise awareness for lupus and raise money for lupus. And I've contacted the Lupus Association, and they're on board with this also. So you can donate to them, and you know that that should make a big difference. It certainly made them happy to hear that we're doing something like this. Yeah, are we allowed to rap, not just sing? Yeah, well, well, I was thinking, like... I think rapping would be fun, too. For you, Max, and Mike, you guys already have great singing voices, so something like that could be interesting. Mm -hmm. But it was really weird. I got... Someone sent me on uh, Friday. I was just at home, and someone sent me a file. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. This is a person I don't normally hear from. And it was, like, piano, and then all of a sudden, them singing. I was like, whoa, this kind of, it kind of blew me away. I, I want you guys to listen to it. We have to guess who it is? Yeah. Okay. If, maybe you'll guess, but. Um, okay. So you got, somebody sent you this presumably because you mentioned this on the pod. Yeah. All right. So let's hear this. <laughs> what song is this again? <laughs> is this a Headley song? Oh, it is a Headley song, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a woman singing. Yeah. Is this Alex? My wife? <laughs> yeah. <I> no. <laughs> it's good. Is that enough? Wait. Nice voice. Is it lights? No. Candace? No. All right. All right. Is, is it just the back? We don't know who it is, but it was great. It was Laura Crothers. Oh. oh. So she sketches these amazing realistic sketches and she does them very quickly. Like she sketched all of us individually and then she kind of made like a mosaic of us all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on her Instagram if you want to see it. So I'm like, man, this is 
beautiful. Who knew you had this secret talent? This is great for the lupus challenge. And she's like, lupus challenge? <laughs> she's like what are you talking about i'm like oh if you haven't heard the the newest pod like we kind of talked about a singing challenge and she goes oh i'm i'm pretty behind on pods i'm like oh, okay she's not as big of a fan as i thought uh, <laughs> Laura. yeah and then she goes maybe i'll enter this headley challenge and it's like she sends me a link of like uh jacob hogart around like a fan it's like enter to win the headley challenge or it's like it's like a meet and greet with headley or something <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So, thanks for nothing, Laura. Wow. Still a great voice, but but, but whatever. So, anyways, that's the challenge. And we were talking about a date where we. That's right. What we're going to do is, uh, so we are taking this challenge, uh, at, we're going for it. We're taking yep. it seriously. Uh, Shane's thought of this great thing, as you guys know, if you listen to the last episode and this episode, uh, the I Sang for Lupus Challenge. Uh, you're going to have to tape yourself, put it on your socials, Instagram most likely. What are YouTube, Instagram, anywhere? Uh, you sing a song earnestly. That's the key. You have to like legitimately sort of challenge yourself to look into your camera and sing any song you're choosing uh, earnestly and then nominate three friends after you sing to also sing earnestly for lupus or donate some money if they have a little bit to donate. Do- or both. Okay. Absolutely. And so what we're going to do is the three of us uh, and people we nominate, hopefully, will all launch this thing on December 8th. So coming up on December 8th, you will see on the Mike on Much socials, on at Mikey V, at Arkells, uh, at ShaneyBoy69, um, which I'm sure uh, Lupus Foundation of Canada loves that handle. <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will all be posting. And we would encourage you, uh, our listeners, to please... Uh, you know, join us in this challenge and let's try and spread the, spread this thing and get some money cooking for lupus. And the hashtag is I sang for lupus challenge. That's right. You'll be seeing it on all ours. Uh, nominate your friends. Let's get this thing rolling. Let's do it. And Max had an idea, but to have like a, a benefit concert. Well, so I was thinking about trying to give the, this, this great campaign a little bit more focus or, and I also have some sort of like end goal that we're going for. And a lot of podcasts take their show on the road, you know, do live performances or a live taping of the podcast, but we've never done that. We've talked about it sort of briefly, but I thought this would be a great opportunity uh, for maybe in January that the Mike on Much does a live show. We sell tickets and all the money goes to Lupus. And I talked about it with you guys. You guys seem pretty into it, right? Down. Mm-hmm. Let's so, do it. So we're going to work on details for that now, but I'm thinking we'll do it maybe somewhere in downtown Toronto at the Rivoli. Like I'm, a, I'm not on tour at all in January, so I'll be around. And we could have some kind of variety night. Maybe I'll play a couple songs acoustically. Maybe we'll do a live interview um, that will you know live on the podcast as well where we have a special guest. I was also had an idea where you guys – because part of the impetus for this podcast started because you two are great at hosting weddings. <laughs> like you're great MCs at weddings. And because you go above and beyond preparing a bit as if you're like kicking off Saturday Night Live or something like that. Our, our template's hosting the Golden Globes. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So maybe we do like a make-believe wedding roast of sorts where it's like we choose a couple friends ahead of time that are you know hypothetically getting married and you guys have to do – a welcome to the wedding kind of speech. There's lots of fun stuff we could do. So um, what else do you think we could do? Well, you had mentioned uh, doing five minutes of stand-up. 
Yeah, oh yeah. I'd love to see you do stand-up. Well, and I think Mike has mentioned that one of his dreams, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, is sure. to do five minutes of stand-up. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's get it straight. I think <laughs> He's walking I think, it back. I think I've drunkenly claimed I could do five minutes of stand-up if I had the time to write a bit. <laughs> Vomit all over your shoes. <laughs> get me on stage, you wankers. <laughs> Yo, we uh, another idea. Yo, let's just do a stand-up challenge. Max, you should do three minutes of stand-up. Uh, you know what? We won't make him do five. <laughs> there, there was actually... Actually, a time, I think last year, where the guys from Colorado were trying to do some comedy fundraiser thing and asked if I would do stand-up. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And the event ended up getting canceled, which was really good because I had a few bits and I kind of workshopped them on my friend Matt Brookman. And Matt's like, Max, you cannot say any of this. You will like literally <laughs> be trending on Twitter and you'll never have a career. I was like, Is it really that bad? He's like, yes, you can't say any of it. I was like, okay. It's a pure roast. <laughs> uh, but what if, uh, okay, I love you doing stand-up and Mike, you got to do stand-up. I don't think yeah. I could do it. We'll I see, mean, we'll see, we'll see. I'll do it if you do it, Max. We need the nut on the show, obviously. Oh, the nut has to make an appearance for sure. But in this vein, what if we bring back the rap battle? Because we oh, used to do rap. Man. These, and rap, these battles, rap battles are blowing up now. Yo, like a, so if we you, should do a freestyle. Pod, pod listeners, if you go back, I don't know what episode it is, but, you know, <laughs> one of the reasons the Nut and Shane had such an acrimonious sort of antagonistic uh, relationship <laughs> is because Shane would come on the pod and tell these stories about uh, hanging with the Nut. And one of those stories was the time they decided to have a rap battle that had been built up for weeks. <laughs> and the, 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 actually, now that I think of it, we probably couldn't do a rap battle. Yes, we could. Let's we, do we'll it. Hear, okay, well, I'd love to do it, but the only thing is I'll say is that the things that just come out of your mouth in the moment of like just trying to think of rhymes are usually so vulgar and so inappropriate that you really should stay in the confines of like one hotel room with 20 dudes drinking beer and like never see the light of day. I don't know, Max. Sounds like you're projecting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) No, okay. But yeah, I'd love to do it. So we should, Mm -hmm. maybe this is where we set the scene. Maybe you should challenge. We can have rules where it has to be uh, moderately PC or something. Yeah. No swearsies. That could be a good challenge. Yeah. So uh, we're going to work on all that. We'll, we'll get a date together. Um, just don't book anything in January if you're listening. <laughs> That's the key. And hopefully you will come out and uh, support the cause. But before we have that date, this is what you need to know. December 8th, we're all posting our I Sang for Lupus challenge. And you're all nominated by Mike on Munch if you are a listener or a fan. Awesome. Amazing. Do we have a laugh at the end of the thing? No. Do you want to sing us off maybe? <laughs> what would I say? Or maybe give us a freestyle. Uh, can I hit it in the morning without giving you half of my dough? And even worse, if I was broke, would you want me? If I couldn't fix your finer things like all them diamond rings, chicken skill for, would you still roll? It's a Jay Z song, man. Okay. I thought you were freestyling. Like. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find the Mike on Much on Instagram and Twitter at Mike on Much. Please leave a comment uh, in the ratings for iTunes. Uh, if you dig the show, tell a friend. That's the best way we grow. Um, huge thank you to Tara Paquette and Jenna Gregory for providing and setting up all the artwork. You can find Jenna's stuff at jennasdoodles.com. Huge thank you to Webmaster Dan for As making always. this thing go. Uh, Greg Stewart, Mike McShane, Justin Stockman, people that sent uh, us down to New York City to be able to speak with Noel Gallagher. Uh, What a damn thrill. And everybody, December 8th, get on there. I sang for Lupus Challenge. Pick a song and nominate some friends. We're all going to do this damn thing. Thanks to Noel Gallagher for providing the goods. (laughs) See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.